0: Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production, featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. Decisive Point welcomes Dr. Tong-Fee Kim and Dr. Louis Simon, authors of Greater Security Cooperation, U.S. Allies in Europe and East Asia, featured in Parameter Summer 2021 issue. Dr. Kim is an assistant professor of international affairs, and Dr. Simone is the director of the Center for Security, Diplomacy, and Strategy at the Brussels School of Governance.
1: Let's set the stage for our listeners here. Are Russia and China working together against the U.S. and our allies?
0: The conscious effort as well as the circumstances are working in favor of Russia and China. There are several reasons to believe that Russia and China are in a better position to compete against the United States and its allies than they were in the past. During the Cold War, China's capabilities were limited and the Soviet Union was the only serious competitor to the United States. In fact, from the early 1970s to the late 1980s, China was an informal partner for the United States against the Soviet Union. So the security alignment was very much in favor of the United States as a result of the hostilities between the Soviet Union and China. The relationship between Moscow and Beijing improved in the late 1980s, and China's relations with the United States became more competitive in the 1990s. But these developments still did not present a serious problem because Russia was in economic and political turmoil and China was still very poor. This large advantage due to the so-called American unipolarity continued, but the power gap between the United States and its competitors has become narrower with the rise of China and Russia's resurgence. These shifts in the balance of power are the background to our article. As far as publicly known, Russia and China only have consultation pacts and they don't have military obligations to defend each other, but their level of military cooperation has been steadily increasing. This makes sense, of course, for Russian and Chinese leaders because the United States retains its military primacy and Russia and China are also surrounded by U.S. allies who are not friendly toward their non-democratic political systems. According to Chinese military expert Ni Le China and Russia need to lean on each other for support to deal with hostilities from different fronts. In January 2019, then-U.S. Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates, told Congress that China and Russia are more aligned than at any point since the mid-1950s and the relationship is likely to strengthen in the coming year as some of their interests and threat perceptions converge. Greater coordination in security policies allows Russia and China to maintain a cohesive front, outflank the United States, and undermine the security of the United States' European and East Asian allies. Through arms transfers and greater military coordination, Russia and China have strengthened each other's capabilities, while mutually learning from best technological and operational practices. Moreover, and China appear to be engaging in coordinated probing in Europe and East Asia, designed to test the reactions of the United States and its allies and better gauge the boundaries of their freedom of action while staying below the threshold of traditional military activity. So Russia's little green men have infiltrated Ukraine since 2014, while China's little blue men have advanced Chinese interests in the South and East China seas. Coordinated Sino-Russian actions against U.S. interests and allies in Europe and East Asia could force Washington into a long and resource draining two-flank competition and compel it to make difficult choices. Such coordinated activities could lead to tensions between the United States and its allies regarding which threats to prioritize, but could also lead to tensions between American allies in the two regions as they compete for U.S. resources and attention. Our article on parameters is about links between Asian and European allies, but Russia and China can also coordinate to create problems for allies in the same region. On July 23, 2019, Russia and China jointly flew warplanes near island clusters called Tokto in South Korea and Takeshima in Japan, respectively. Both South Korean and Japanese fighter jets scrambled to intercept this operation. But the interesting effect of this operation was that Japan made a diplomatic protest against South Korea because South Korean fighter jets fired warning shots inside the airspace, both South Korea and Japan coin. This is obviously a well-calculated attempt by Russia and China to drive a wedge between the U.S. allies. When Moscow and Beijing work together and when U.S. allies do not call, coordinate their response well, the result can be not just inefficient but damaging to the cohesion of the U.S. alliance network.
1: Thank you. I have a quote from your article I was hoping we can expand on. You guys said U.S. allies in Europe and East Asia have had limited security interaction with each other due to resource scarcity, geographical distance, and the need to prioritize threats in their respective regions. Yet U.S. European and East Asian allies now have good reasons to develop more robust security relationships with each other. Can you break that down for us? Sure. Thanks, Stephanie. I would perhaps point to, as we do in the article, three sets of developments that underscore the need for greater security cooperation between U.S. allies in Europe and East Asia. The first, and you already touched on that, is growing Sino-Russian security and defense cooperation. I think Tofi already explained that pretty well. I would add that confronting these two different adversaries simultaneously will inevitably lead to a division in terms of U.S. attention and capabilities between both regions, because those regions are so Sort of the center of gravity of U.S. competition with each of, of those competitors. In fact, I think it will become increasingly difficult to manage China from a U.S. perspective without addressing the question of Moscow's support for Beijing, the extent of that support and the ways and means of that support and so on and so forth. So bottom line, it seems to me that the United States needs to calculate how its response to one strategic competitor. And the same principle sort of applies to U.S. allies, although in different ways, because U.S. allies in in Europe and East Asia need to develop a much finer understanding of the mechanics of Sino-Russian cooperation and the extent of Sino-Russian cooperation and the challenges that prospect or that reality presents to their security. And also, I would add, it's important that U.S. allies in each region exchange views on the Sino-Russian relationship between themselves and with the United States to avoid also different diagnoses and misunderstandings and policies going in different directions. The second has to do with the fact that U.S. allies in Europe and East Asia face somewhat similar threats even if the country they mainly worry about is a different one i.e china for East Asian countries, or for most East Asian allies, and Russia for most European allies, the nature of the threat they confront is actually not that different. So for instance, through their advances in precision strike and missile modernization programs, Russia and China are trying to undermine the local military balance in Northeastern Europe and in the Western Pacific, respectively. So US allies in both regions face a missile threat and a so-called anti axis and area denial threat. And the mechanics of that threat, and conceptually, those threats are very similar. But As Russia and China strengthen their military capabilities and try to foster the perception that they may enjoy some sort of local escalation dominance in certain parts of Europe or the Western Pacific, they can also engage more confidently in non-traditional forms of probing. You can call it hybrid warfare or gray warfare, the European version, the Asian version. And, And we see that China and Russia are learning from each other's best practices in things like disinformation or the use of little green slash blue man, and so on. Again, conceptually, U.S. allies in Europe and East Asia face a similar problem, i.e. how to counter the threat posed by Russian and Chinese military modernization and hybrid or gray zone activities. So to address those threats, U.S. allies in each region will have to draw on similar operational concepts, capabilities, and even technologies, and that will create opportunities for collaboration in terms of not only comparing notes and even tech, R&D, and so on. The third development that we touch on uh, in the article uh, has to do with growing uncertainty on the part of the allies about U.S. security commitments in either region, so-called abandonment fears, which are inherent to any alliance. That problem sort of became particularly salient, perhaps more so in Europe, during Trump's time, given his criticism of alliances and of NATO specifically. Now, it's true, the Biden administration has now spent a good amount of time and energy trying to reassure allies, but U.S. allies cannot take the current situation and the Biden administration as a given, and they cannot rule the scenario, the possibility of a less alliance-friendly precedent in the future, as we say in the article. In addition to that, there are questions about how the U.S. will prioritize between Europe and East Asia at a time when it faces two great power challengers simultaneously, and when the power gap that the U.S. enjoyed during the so-called unipolar era appears to be diminishing somewhat. Again, the possibility of U.S. retrenchment from their respective regions incentivizes allies in Europe and East Asia to hedge a little bit their bets, either by investing in or in strengthening their own autonomy or diversifying their portfolio of security partnerships or a combination of both probably. And greater ties with each other can be part of that package. Of course, those ties are not going to provide adequate alternatives to their alliances with the United States because no group of countries can match U.S. power uh, projection capabilities. But it seems to us that allies see that sort of diversification strategy play a useful role in terms of strengthening their diplomatic hand. And also uh, some of them see that sort of diversification as part of a broader package that can help them hedge against an uncertain future. Those are the three main sets of arguments that we put forward. Well, Louis Tongvi, thank you so much for joining me. This was definitely an interesting conversation. Hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys again. It was great having you in Parameters. So, All right. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Thanks again. Have a nice day